All right, we, uh, we are now going to go through the outline, uh, which is 2 Samuel, and, and it really summarizes chapters 2 through 5. The extraordinary life of David, uh, who has had so many trials and temptations, but has now uh, come through them, and now Saul is dead, and David did not have to raise his hand to strike Saul dead. Uh, but that came about because of the, the Philistines, and, and so now David sits there with no obstacles for him, no obstacles in front of him uh, to assume the, the throne of Israel. The only rival that he faces is uh, Saul's youngest son, uh, Ishbosheth, who was a weak leader. Uh, and you know that David holds, will hold the title of the king of Judah, and the remainder of Israel, all the other tribes, uh, will be held by Saul's son, Ishbosheth. Uh, and so it's interesting in that even though David has been promised to be king of Israel, anointed as king of Israel, even now, even now he has to wait. Uh, even now, he will not be able to, to secure the throne of all of Israel. Uh, and so, as, as always in the life of David, you see that he goes before God and asks God, what should I do? And I, and I love this. Uh, he will be in Hebron, which is the capital city of Judah. He will be there for seven years as he, as he becomes the, the leader of that part of the tribe. Uh, and so, he, he, he will be 30 years old when he takes the throne, it will be another seven years, another seven years before the kingdom is united and he will be the king of all Israel. So think about this, that this started when he was probably 17 years old and now it will, he will not truly be king of all Israel until about the age of 37. The waiting and waiting on God. And so he asked God, what should he do? Should he go up? Should he go up and, t and take residence in one of the cities of, of uh, Judah? And God says to him, yes, you should. You should go up and sit in Hebron uh, and sit there in Hebron. Uh, and so the promise here, the, the lesson here, uh, the lesson here is that the promise of God and the timing of God are two different things. Listen to what I just said. The promise of God and the timing of God are two different things. What do I mean by that? God may make a promise in your life or a commitment to you in your life that you will have some role in either this world or in the ministry, some position. And yet years may go by, years may go by when you do not see that come to fruition. And what happens to us? We, we wind up indicting God. How could you have failed me? How could you have left me, let me down? Why didn't you fulfill your promise to me? And yet God is fulfilling the promise even in the waiting. One of the things that I've learned in my Christian walk is that the waiting is so difficult, but it's so much better than stepping out and making a mistake. How many times have you said, oh, I, I'm just going to step out and I'm going to do something. I'm sure God will honor it. No, no, God won't honor it. If you didn't pray about it and if it is not God's will, he will not honor it. Let's understand that. Even to the point of being in ministry. If you decide all of a sudden, you know what? I think God has called me to be a, uh, a missionary to Africa and you buy your ticket, and you're down at the dock, and you sail off there, and you get there, and you wind up having a, a colossal collapse. 
I don't understand it, God. I was doing your will. No, 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 no. You, you weren't doing my will. You were doing your will. You understand? You were doing your will. You just put my brand name on your will. Right? You put your brand name on my brand name on your will. And that's the lesson here. And I see this with David, which I just marvel at a guy who could, who could do this year after year after year after year and stay patient and continue to wait on God. Uh, and even though he knew he was anointed to be king when Samuel anointed him when he was a 17-year-old kid or a 16-year-old kid, whatever specific age he was, and now it's years later and he still is not king, he's waiting on God. What a lesson that is for us. And I've seen that in my own life. Uh, in that when, when, when I started the Bible study, I had visions of grandeur. Oh, yes, God, I know immediately there will be a, a, you know, 50 people in the room, and I send out 250 cards, and no one, not one person responds. Not one person. Why? Because that was John Garippa's methodology. That wasn't God's methodology. God's methodology was you humbly go, open your house, and by word of mouth, one by one, I will bring them in. That's what you want, God? That's what I want. Because that way, everybody will know it's not you, John, it's me, God. And so each of us has to think about that in our own life, and our own applications, where we are, uh, whether it's a professional issue, you know, it's something in business, or, or something in health, or something in finances, uh, or, or inevitably something in ministry, and it's all ministry, really, isn't it, at the end of the day, that whatever God gives you the grace to do in your life, you are an emissary of Jesus Christ, no matter where you are. And so God says, wait on me. Wait on me. Uh, my, my, my mission, my appointment to you is separate from my, my timing. My timing. My timing may not be what your timing is. And frankly, it's never. God's timing is never consistent with our timing. Never consistent because he has to determine that you're ready to do the job. You know, here's the thing, folks. When you were 30 or 40 years old, most likely you weren't ready to serve God the way God wanted you to be served. All right? And some of us have to be in our 70s or 80s before we're ready, before all of the, the ego and the personality have been ironed out and we are really committing ourselves to God. But I want to assure you that his promise is good. He will be there for you just as he was there for David. And what I also love about David is D David's goal was not to be king. His goal was to serve God. Don't you love that? I mean, he really... He, he, he didn't have this overwhelming obsession to be king. He wasn't seeking a title. He wasn't seeking affirmation for the people. He was seeking to please God. That's what God wants. He wants to know that you're there doing, your, doing the will of God in order to please God, not to do the, the will of men. So this is an important uh, understanding of this. Uh, and so you see it in the various seasons of his life, the good times, the bad times, uh, the times when he's been victorious, the times when he's failed and made mistakes. And, the, and, and so this is an important lesson for you to understand. Now, as great as our brother is, and the great example that he, he gives to us, he also makes some really bad mistakes. And he will continue to make them. And, we're, and within this section of reading that we're studying, we're going to see a couple more of those. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 3, verses, uh, we'll read verses 1 through 5. 
The war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. And by the way, there will be continuing civil war uh, amongst the tribes of Israel. They will continue uh, until the kingdom will be reunited. It will take about seven and a half years. Uh, the war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. The hand of God. Sons were born to David in Hebron. Remember, Hebron's the capital of Judah. His firstborn was Amnon, the son of Ahinoam of Jezreel. His second, Kaliab, the son of Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. The third, Absalom, the son of Makkah, daughter of Talma, king of Geshur. The fourth, Adonijah, Adonijah excuse me, the son of Haggith. The fifth, Shephatiah, the son of Abital. These are hard names to say at this time in the morning. And the sixth, Ithram, the son of David's wife, Eglah. These were born to David in Hebron. Now, what's the issue? The issue is that he's married a number of pagan women. You see what's going on here? These are all pagans, all right? Other than Abigail, these are all pagans. And he is now fathering these children. He's got now, I think, seven or eight wives, most of whom are pagans, not within the kingdom of God. And so, really, he's violating God's will on a number of accounts. First of all, uh, God has decreed early on uh, through Moses that the leaders should not have multiple wives, all right? Should not have multiple wives. Well, he's going to have many wives. He's already up to to eight, he's not like his son Solomon, who had over a thousand, all right, who's on another level. But, but you see this, the fact that he has pagan wives. Now, this is bad on two accounts. First account is this. David has a problem with sex. Can I be any plainer than that? In my opinion, David had an addiction to lust and sex. And you know, as we're going to get into it later in the next season, we're going to study the issue of Bathsheba and what will happen there. And it's a horrible, horrible story uh, where David will see this woman, knowing that she's married, will see her when he goes up to the roof of his house uh, because he knew that every day at four o'clock she would take a, a, a bath and he would be there and watch her and lustfully decided he would take her and, and he would impregnate her. It's an awful story. Uh, and, in order to, and, and what happens later is that he winds up having his, her husband, uh, the Hittite, Uriah the Hittite, killed in a major battle. Sin, compounding sin, compounding sin. Let me make this as clear to you as possible, and I'm glad it was brought up during the, the testimony part of our, of our presentation today. Some of us have an ongoing addiction to lust and to sexuality. You need to ask God to take this out of your life. You need to ask God to give you grace and strength. Because here is a great man, a great man, one of the greatest figures in the Bible, who will ultimately be almost taken down because of this. Why do I say it? Because one of the kids who is born to these women in this particular section is called Absalom. And Absalom will wind up heading up a revolt against David and will wind up trying to take the kingdom away from David. And that all comes about because it's a, a union, a child 
of a union in which David is unequally yoked. Now, I used to hear this from my father growing up. Do not be unequally yoked. And it used to annoy me. All right? All right? It used to annoy me because it was as if my father was saying, you know, you, you, you couldn't have fun. You understand? You couldn't really have fun. You couldn't go out with girls maybe that weren't in your church or weren't part of your culture. And I never really understood it. I never really understood it. Well, now that I'm an old man, you know what? I really do understand it because I look back at the wreckage of other people's lives and I thank God that God brought me uh, a woman who was committed to Jesus Christ. That, that even though I was a young man, that God gave me the grace and mercy to have, to have that woman as my wife. And what a difference it is when you have that person in your life, when you have a partner in your life who is committed to worshiping Jesus Christ, committed to everything to do to walk with Christ as you raise your children and you conduct your business and everything, to, everything that you do in your life. When that single minded vision is on the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be unequally yoked because when you don't have that relationship, when you have someone who doesn't share the same values, doesn't see Jesus the way you see it, doesn't see the cross, your life will never be the same. Your life will never be the same. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Our brother Paul speaks so eloquently on this issue. Verse 14. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who, he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And so you see this and understand this, how God is telling us uh, that, that we need to be united with people who have the same vision of Christ that we do. You can't go out and be unequally yoked. You can't do that. Uh, and, and this is an important lesson to understand this, that when we're unequally yoked, uh, ultimately our lives will be a shadow of what they should be. And Jesus is telling us this uh, and, and, and through the Holy Spirit. And so you see David making this mistake. He's unequally yoked. Um, and, and the problems that will come from this. And so I want to say this to you guys now, that the, the vast majority of you guys are married and, and, and now really are now have grandchildren. And so the message really applies to your grandchildren. Okay? Applies to your grandchildren. In a loving way, in a loving way, as you bring them into the kingdom of God, Make sure that they understand this issue. And, being, and by the way, when I say unequally yoked, I'm not saying a person in your church. doesn't have to be in your denomination. doesn't have to be in your Sunday Bible school. But someone who shares the same vision of Jesus Christ. Uh, and this is re really the message that I, that I have for you this morning on this issue. Because you see, even good people, Godly people, people who are going to be used by God in a great way, David, who will fail in this category and will suffer because of it. And they will suffer, all right? He will suffer, and David suffered because of it. And so uh, I just wanted to digress there momentarily as we talked about this. And so um, I'm looking also at the way, the, the personality of David as he deals with so many different issues because now he's got to deal with a civil war 
He's got to deal with the fact that the northern tribes are much more populous, that Saul's weak son is in charge of that, that Abner, who is really the power behind the throne uh, of Saul's son, is going to be involved. And so David is going to have to navigate this, this travail uh, in order to ultimately unite the kingdom of Israel, get it united. And so there are significant human dynamics involved here, meaning David is going to have to deal with a wide variety of people who have a wide variety of personalities. And this is the message for you today, that God has called us to be Christians and to impact a world full of diverse personalities. And so as you, as you walk in this world that's evil, and as you impact people that come to you from diverse personalities, God wants you to have a certain kind of wisdom as you do business with them, even in, in the sense that David has. Turn to Matthew 10, verse 16. And here's a passage where, David, where God is now sending out the 12 into the world. He's sending them out to impact the gospel. All right? And look at the words that he gives them as he sends them out. Verse 16, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes as an, and as innocent as doves. Jesus, what, what are you telling me here? What are you telling me, Jesus? I'm sending you out like sheep to the wolves, but I want you, I want you to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. What, what kind of message is this? This is the message of reality. And Jesus is saying to us, guys, you're my disciples. I've called you. Uh, and when you go out in the world, I want you to be my followers and to reflect my glory. But be prepared. There are people out there. There were wolves out there who will seek to destroy you, who are not interested in my word, who are not interested in advancing the kingdom of God. And be prepared when you come across them. And when you come across them, please be prepared and be as wise as a serpent. Be as shrewd as a serpent, but yet act like a dove. Now, you might say, well, does that hypocrisy? No, it's not hypocrisy. It's not hypocrisy at all because Jesus is preparing us for what we're going to face. Continuing on, verse 17. Be on your guard against men they will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Oh, wow. How amazing is that? I'm sending you out into people that will hate you and despise you and to persecute you. And they, and they will bring you down and they will bring you up. They will bring you up on charges. But do not be afraid. Because when it comes time to defend yourself, my words will come through you through the Holy Spirit. Isn't that some promise? Isn't that some promise in your life that as you go through difficult times and, and hardship and, and, and people are, are persecuting you, that if you rely on God, if you rely on God and you ask God to give you the wisdom, he will give you the very words to say. And so here you see this, that David now is matriculating this minefield. These are not all people that are affirming him or affirming the kingdom of God. They're out for their own thing. 
They're out for their own agenda. And so you're, you're seeing this right here in front of you as David is interacting with, this, with these people. And so David was wise, was wise, but he had good motives. He, he was shrewd. He understood human failings. And that's what God says to us. Be shrewd. Understand human beings have failings. We love them. We love them. But we have to be aware that often, often their motives are not appropriate. And so David's first act as uh, king was to honor Saul by blessing the men of Jabesh who buried Saul and his three sons. And this was an example of David's uh, diplomacy. He had a great, great spirit of diplomacy and kindness. Uh, and so here they, these guys uh, buried Saul and the bodies of his sons who were killed in battle. And so you might say, gee whiz, after all Saul did to him, and he still exerts that kind of position and honors these men. But, it, but you see how David understood that the other tribes would look to see how he honored Saul. They would look to see what kind of heart he had. Is he out for himself or does he really have an, a, a kindness, a spirit of kindness that's exhibited in, in his activity? And so the nation wanted to see that. And by honoring Saul, the nation of Israel saw that he was not seeking personal honor. He was not trying to seize the power from Saul's family. He never did it, not once. Whatever David got, it was because God brought it to his door. And that brings me to another important subject. When you want to serve God, please put your personal ambition at the curb. Listen to what I'm saying. Please put your personal ambition at the curb. This is a hard thing because so many of us, uh, we love God and, and we think that we have a certain image of how our ministry should take place or how we should be used in ministry. And as a result of that, it's our ambition that raises us up and causes us to step and do things that are not in accord with God's will. And David understood that. I don't see any example anywhere here in David's life when he went forward and seized something on his own prerogative without asking God. Uh, and I can, I can tell you that personally in my own life, I made that promise to God uh, years ago that if he wanted me to do something, he would have to bring it to my door, that he would have to make it clear it was his will because I had, if I were left to my own devices, I would wreck it. All right? That's me. I would wreck it. Maybe you guys wouldn't. You're better than I am. But I can tell you this, that me, I would wreck it because my own personal ego would get involved. And after a while, I wouldn't be doing God's will. I'd be doing John's will. All right? And so you see this, that, that, that David didn't do that, and the nation recognized that People will recognize your talents. If you're called by God, if God has given you a gift, you don't have to put a spotlight on yourself. You don't have to put an ad in the paper. God will elevate you. God will raise you up, all right? Because that's God's work. He wants his work to be advanced. You think he's not going to do that for you? I want you to understand that. He will. He will advance you. You don't have to market yourself. And so you see this here. And so uh, uh, clearly, David is not going after Saul's family. He's not going to do that. He's going to wait until God's wisdom is revealed to him. And so what happens? Well, what happens is that Abner, the power behind the throne, takes uh, Ishbosheth, Saul's son, who is really weak, 
uh, and makes him the leader of the northern tribes. Abner was the most influential man in Israel. Uh, instead of establishing himself as king after Saul, Abner established Ishbosheth, but he became the power behind the throne. And so these chapters, these three chapters, two, uh, uh, three, four, and five, describe this, this civil war that takes place. And so what happens here is this takes place over seven years. Seven years will go on in which the kingdom is not united, and David will be king over only Ju Judah. Um, and so you see this here in these chapters. Um, and so even though there will be various battles and there will be murders, this is a horrible situation. Abner will be murdered. Ishbosheth will be murdered. As this kingdom is just pulled hither and yon, coming apart, and David sits there in, in Judah waiting for the will of God to come about. And so David's house grows stronger, Saul's house grows weaker, uh, and the tensions between, between the two grow stronger and stronger. And yet David is waiting for the will of God to be revealed in his life. Waiting, waiting patiently. Uh, and so uh, what happens? Well, at some point in time, um, Ishbosheth finds out that uh, Abner has had sexual relations with one of the concubines of Saul. And, and there was a very serious edict that no one could have any sexual relations with any of the concubines of the king. And so as a result of that, uh, Abner began to be on the outs with Ishbosheth. Uh, and so Ishbo uh, Abner took that uh, as his warning to cut ties with Ishbosheth. And so Abner began to have discussions with David uh, to take over the entire kingdom. You realize the power that Abner had. Uh, and he had confidence in David's integrity, uh, having watched him over the years respond to Saul. I want you to listen to that. He had confidence in David's integrity, having watched him act as Saul mistreated him. You, my friend, are in a similar position. People are watching you. People are looking to you to see how you act when you're mistreated, when people come up against you. How do you act when things don't go right? How do you act in difficult times? That is a ministry. That is a ministry. Your very actions. God is using you to be his poster child for what he believes his kingdom should look like. And so Abner saw how David acted. And when he saw his integrity, he came and decided that this is the man that needed to be king, even though he was Saul's right-hand man, even though he had been right there at the seat of power. He recognized this. Uh, and so uh, his plan escalated after he spoke to the elders. Take a look at chapter 3 in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 3. Look at verse 17. Abner conferred with the elders of Israel and said, For some time you have wanted to make David your king. Now do it. For the Lord promised David by my servant David, I will rescue my people, Israel, from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. Abner also spoke to the Benjaminites in person. Then he went to Hebron to tell David everything that Israel and the whole house of Benjamin wanted to do. So you see how, how the hand of God slowly brought this about. Slowly brought this about as, as Abner watched and saw the kind of life that David lived. And so all the tribes anointed uh, David as king. Look at chapter 5. 
verse 1. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a compact with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he resigned reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. Now, what would you say if the people who had been your enemy for a number of years, who had been involved in, fact, in chasing you and making you flee, suddenly come to you and say, you know what? You're the man. You're the man. We really like you now that we have nobody else. What would you say? I know what I would say. How dare you talk to me like this, you miserable group of losers? <laughs> you caused misery in my life. My Bible would look a little different than this Bible, wouldn't it? You've caused misery and agony. I've been persecuted and suffering for years. You chased me. You were involved. You kept Saul as king even though you knew he shouldn't have been king. I should have been king. You knew that I was anointed and you never came to me. But only now, only now when things are rough and the kingdom is coming apart, now you come with your hat in your hand. Well, see, that's a different kind of uh, Bible than, than you. That's why I'm not in the Bible, you see? <laughs> and that's probably why you're not in the Bible because this is not the kind of person God wants you to see as an example. Instead, he wants you to see the guy who can sit there and forget all that. A guy who can sit there and recognize that it was within the will of God. It was within the will of God that I would go through this period of difficult times. That it was a trial that God put me through. That I am where I am today because God wanted to prepare me. Wow, what a guy. Honestly, what a guy. Uh, and so David's generous response to them unified the nation as he refused to yield to bitterness. That's another lesson. Don't let bitterness rule your life. All right? And there's so many of us here who have been hurt badly, who have, have a sting of bitterness in our life, uh, and, and, have, and we say we have forgiven but we truly have not really forgiven. Uh, instead, we continue to have this pill of, of bitterness that permeates us in every possible way. And you see, David didn't have that. He didn't have this bitterness. So that when, when finally these people came to them and said to them, we want you to be able to uh, elevate yourself to, the, to become king, he didn't, he didn't in any way come back at them and say, what did you do to me before? Why did you act that way before? Instead, he, he elevated them in, in every possible way. And so uh, this is an incredible message for me to understand how God wants me to act in difficult times and not be bitter, not have that agony sit over me so that, when, so that I cannot advance the kingdom of God. Would he have done God's will here by being bitter? instead of having a chance to unify the country? Let's understand something here. So you see the greatness of this man. Uh, and so the elders acknowledged that they knew that God had chosen him. Well, my natural reaction would be, you knew that? 
you knew God had chosen me, and yet you didn't honor God? Right? Wouldn't you say that? I'm sure David thought that. I'm sure he thought that. But he didn't say it. He didn't say it because God had, had, was giving him uh, mercy and grace to recognize that Israel needed to, to be unified. And he would be the only person who would unify Israel, who would now become the great nation that God promised Abraham that they would be. Uh, and so now, now the nation is united. Um, and now, now Jerusalem enters the picture. And David will decide that the kingdom of the united tribes will be not in Hebron, all right, not where it had been in the northern tribes, but would now be in a new place called Jerusalem. And Jerusalem will now become center stage as the great city of the kingdom of God in this world. Um, and it's interesting, as I, as I prepared myself for this uh, study today, uh, I reviewed the relative size of Jerusalem vis-a-vis uh, -vis some of the other great cities of the world at the same time. For example, Babylon, Babylon was 2,500 acres in size. 2,500 acres in size. Jerusalem, 15. Isn't that extraordinary? 15, meaning what? Meaning God would take some insignificant piece of property, some insignificant place, and make it his kingdom. Because it's clear here, as we see this, that God directed David to take that city, to make it his city, uh, to make it his personal place. Uh, and so David, uh, his first recorded act as king over Israel was to establish a capital city in Jerusalem. And so he and his men marched to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was not, it was unusual, even though it was sitting within the Israeli territories, it was not occupied by Israelis. It was occupied by a foreign people. And so he marches them to Jerusalem uh, where the Jebusites are in residence uh, and he drives them from the city. Now the Jebusites taunted David. They taunted David because they felt that their city was so fortified with its walls that they could put nothing but lame and paralyzed people on the walls. They said that to him. We'll put nothing but lame and paralyzed people and you still won't be able to take us. All right, it's that well fortified. Well, you see how, how it's bad to taunt God. They found a water shaft, all right? They found a water shaft and what happened is David goes and his men go through the water shaft, come up inside of, of Jerusalem and guess what? Jerusalem is now property of the Jews. As a result, and so he captures Jerusalem, um, and and so it becomes the capital of all of of Israel. Now it's interesting that the Lord spoke to Moses about a city where he chose to put his name. How about that? Uh, and that's 500 years before. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 4, and he's giving them decrees about how to be worshipped. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, meaning the pagan way, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go, 
There bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts which you have vowed to give, and your freewill offerings and the firstborn of your herds. There in the presence of the Lord your God, you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice in everything you have put your hand to because the Lord God has blessed you. And so this edict, effectively, that covenant now comes uh, into fruition as David takes Jerusalem as the capital city of the kingdom of God. Um, and so it's, it's very important as you understand this. Now, our good friends, the Philistines, come back, right? The enemies of God come back. Can't just have a good day, can't just have a good period of time. Satan rears its ugly head. And what happens? Well, as soon as the Philistines learned uh, that Israel had anointed David as king, uh, they attacked him twice. All right? They attacked him twice. Turn to chapter 5 in 2 Samuel, verses uh, 17 to 25. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? Now you've got to love David. Here's a battle. They're coming up against him, and he's asking God for his advice. Should I go and attack them? Do you want me to do this? How do you want me to handle it? The Lord answered him, Go, for I will surely hand the Philistines over to you. So David went to Baal Perazim, and there he defeated them. He said, As waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal Perazim. The Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. Well, you think that's it, it's over, right? No, it's not. Once, again, once more, the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, and he answered. Now, this is amazing, and this is what I want you to focus on. God gives battle instructions. Your God will tell you precisely how to live your life when you ask him. When you ask him, and look at this, he gives him actual battle instructions. Look what the Lord says. So David inquired of the Lord, and he answered, Do not go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the balsam trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the top of the balsam trees, move quickly, because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded him and struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. Isn't this amazing to you? That God speaks that discreetly and directly to David when he's asked, when you inquire of God, what should I do? How should I act? Where should I go? And gives you the victory. I wanna, this is a great time to finish the season on this point. And I want to make sure that you get this directly from God on this issue. If you want to lead a victorious Christian life, you need to be in communion with the Lord. That means you need to ask him day by day, where do I go? How do I go? Who should I be with? How do you want me to act? Open the doors of my life. Close the doors of my life. Give me the wisdom not to try to push open the doors that you do not want me to push open. Bring the kind of godly people into my life that you will want, that you will want me to be associated 
with. In every possible way, in every venue of your life, God wants you to live your life like this. When you leave this place today, and I don't see you again for a couple of months, I want you to reflect on this. That even though we won't be together, I want you to reflect on the Holy Spirit being with you and this over-abiding, arching sense of the will of God in your life. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants you to be bigger than you ever dreamed you would be. He has greater things in store for you than you could possibly imagine. But the only way you're going to get there is when you submit to him and follow him and direct your paths in accordance with the will of God. Can I get an amen? amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this group of men who loves you so much, Father who comes out week after week to study your word. Lord, I ask you to be with them, especially when the time comes that we're not together during the next several months. Be with them and protect them. Give them wisdom in their lives. Surround them with your peace. Protect them wherever they go, Lord. And in whatever you do, Lord, bring them back safely to continue the study of the word together as our spiritual family. We love them and we care about them, but Lord, nothing compared to the way you love them and care about them. And we put all of this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you.